Chapter Three of Find the Woman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Find the Woman by Gillette Burgess. Chapter Three. Scheffel Hall. How our hero, in the pursuit of his adventure, met at his rendezvous a friend of his youth and heard a tale of jewels and horror. So up Fenton went with his heart pumping, obstructed by his overcoat gained the next landing and looked about for a means of escape three or four feet away from him the roof of an l stood its flat roof level with his landing with no definite plan of escape he jumped across the opening landed upon the gravel roof and hurried along dodging under telephone wires to where another roof rose a few feet higher up this he scrambled and looked about there was a trap-door a few yards away. He made his way to it, tried it, and found it unlocked. Lifting it, he gazed down into a black hole. At first he could see nothing, but as his eyes grew accustomed to the darkness, he made out a ladder leading down. With terror in his soul, he cautiously groped his way to the foot, bumped his head, felt about for a door, opened one, and found himself, to his immense relief, in the upper hallway of an apartment house here he paused for a moment to regain his breath and his courage there was nothing for it but to descend boldly and trust his luck not to be observed he got down the first flight in safety meeting no one but at the next landing was suddenly confronted by a young girl coming up she started in surprise eyed him keenly but said nothing he felt her eyes upon him as he went down. In the lowest hall a negro lad was dozing at a telephone desk. He did not move. Fenton opened the front door. The boy waked, caught sight of him, and shouted something. Fenton hurried out, not daring to run, got down the front steps with his pulse quickened to fever speed, and turned toward Broadway. One glance over his shoulder showed the patrol wagon still standing at the door of Madame Oswald's a few houses away, and by the opposite curb was a shabby coupé with its driver on the box watching the excitement. Men were running up to the scene of the raid. One large, pompous-looking man jostled Fenton and nearly knocked him down. But at last he was free of the crowd and walked south, his hands in his pockets, his fingers burrowing in the diamonds. Judging the lights of Broadway safer than dark side streets, he kept down to the Flatiron building, and then, looking suspiciously to right and left, crossing the street whenever he saw a pedestrian approaching, he zigzagged to Fourth Avenue and gained Eighteenth Street. Once a bedizened woman accosted him with a wheedling voice. Once a shabby loafer hailed him, requesting money for a cup of coffee up against it sir can't get work nothing to eat for two days fenton did not reply the burden of his treasure was a horror and a menace it seemed as if he would never reach the restaurant but at last he entered the swinging doors and sat down at a table with a sigh of relief here was respite for a while till the woman should arrive if she ever did arrive what if she did not he ordered beer and pretzels and took up a copy of the Fliegende Blätter to distract his thoughts. The German letters danced on the page. The pictures had no meaning. Then, seeing a ragged copy of Melton's on the table, he took it up. It was a tired-looking old magazine, 
half the pages torn spotted with eggs and gravy having evidently been left in the restaurant by some patron and read to death by subsequent guests he turned the pages listlessly his mind on other things than storiettes or descriptive articles but when he came to the pages of fair women he stopped suddenly at a half-page it was the desecrated portrait of the girl his wonderful girl with the whimsical smile and the level eyebrows his heart stopped then he glanced at the caption under the half-tone half of it was gone what remained read as follows miss bell c h one of the season's most bell c h it was maddening then in a flash he recalled the fortune-teller's prediction what was it madame oswald had said b c bell or blanche or bessie she's in your life current you're going to marry her and marry with money strange how the girl pursued him would fate indeed bring them together he cut out the half-page and put it in his pocket there was no time to muse upon this fancy his present situation was too compelling he resumed his lookout for the mysterious woman who had promised to meet him he had been there a scant half-hour when he saw her enter the door and give a quick glance about the room seeing fenton she walked smiling toward his table thank god you got here all right she said as she sat down i had a narrow escape myself the police came in but found no evidence to hold me i told them i was rooming in the house and knew nothing all the same i have been followed and i daren't take the gems you will have to help me further see here said fenton i've had enough of this it's a little too suspicious for me and i don't care to get into trouble with the police it's not the police you have to fear most she exclaimed who is it then he demanded nervously won't you help me she shot a languishing look at him surely she was beautiful but her beauty had a savage note in it it was the beauty of a tigress there was strange electric force in her glance in her mysterious smile i won't help you till you tell me what it all means was his answer she kept her gaze on him steadily and spoke as if to herself i hardly know how to tell you it's such a great responsibility a family's good name is in your power but i must have help still she stared at him fenton turned away his head embarrassed he was upon the point of refusing her outright handing over the jewels and making his escape back into the peace of commonplace things there was something sinister about it all it was too dangerous as he looked abstractedly toward the door it opened and a man entered fenton felt his blood run cold who was the man at first he did not know and yet there was something familiar about him in his furtive walk rather than his face which stirred vague memories the man passed gave a blank stare at fenton and fenton recognized him it was mangus o'shea with whom he had lived in south boston whom he had always been told was his own uncle the man had grown old but by the small reddish eyes and the broken black teeth fenton knew him indubitably as the irishman passed it was as if a chill wind had swept after him making fenton shiver with apprehension at this look at o'shea the first for so many years fenton saw him as a cruel and an evil thing a man to shun and dread 
it was as if his own subconscious mind had been for years pondering a problem and needed but this encounter to fan hidden coals of thought into a fierce flaming idea he was sure now that o'shea was not his uncle sure that the irishman knew the secret of his birth had done him some fearful wrong perhaps his look was criminal fenton with his pockets sagging with precious stones felt his peril increase every minute if the woman opposite him had noticed the episode she did not show it her eyes were still on him but her thoughts seemed far away now she appeared to awake and cast some horrid apprehension from her she leaned forward and touched his hand listen she said i'm going to tell you why and how much i need you if you have any chivalry in your nature you cannot refuse me with this preamble she began her story the dead fair i am going to make you my confidant in two secrets one my lover's i hope never to divulge the other is my own i hoped to keep that forever also but it doesn't matter now i have negro blood in my veins i am an octoroon will that kill your sympathy i hope not but i have to tell you it will explain everything perhaps you have noticed it already have you suspected me under my powder under my wig this horrible thing that i've worn so long well my lover never suspected it i know perhaps he wouldn't have cared if he had i like to think so for he loved me gordon brewster rescued me from hell do you know what it means to have negro blood in your veins mixed with white to have sensibility refinement surely i have that and to be forever outside the pale i can mingle freely with neither my own people nor yours one sort is too low the other too high for me i have a college education i studied for four years at tuskegee institute after that i tried to teach then for three years i was alone in new york seeing almost no one i write special stories for the papers never going near the offices and supporting myself fairly well i have a little apartment on east thirty-third street with a colored maid i am afraid of any other it doesn't matter how i met gordon brewster there is no need of your knowing that part of my life is sacred but in spite of everything we fell in love can you imagine what that meant to me a man like him a gentleman it was a dream come true it was a fairy tale can you see how i hid my secret my shame i think that my soul is as white as well never mind i couldn't tell gordon how could i risk it i was so happy i was sure of his love but i was afraid of something stronger than himself some instinct some inevitable revulsion of race feeling i didn't know how it would end i didn't care only that i resolved never to marry him unless i wonder if i could have told him well it's too late now all i have now is his honor to protect and cherish the happiness of knowing him was all i ever had we walked all that three years on the edge of a precipice that he never saw i saw it always he had plenty of money at first it was all i could do to prevent his spending it all on me no one ever knew no one ever talked about us no one at least except an intimate friend of his harry hay mr brewster had a string of race-horses 
no other business the family is old and rich he put all his money into his stable and lost steadily if i had known of it in time i might have saved him but it was not to be last evening at about half-past seven o'clock when i was dressing for the evening the door-bell rang and eliza my maid came in to tell me that mr brewster had come it was so early i had not expected him for some time yet i told eliza to show him into my little parlour while i completed my toilet as she helped me with my dressing i heard him tramping up and down the room and wondered at it before i had finished he knocked on my door and called out to me to hurry his voice was so harsh and excited that it alarmed me i threw my things on hurriedly and ran in he was terribly excited he told me to get rid of eliza he wanted to talk to me alone so i sent her away and he walked nervously up and down till she had left then he came up to me and took both my hands in his get your things packed up at once he said enough to travel with at least i am going to marry you right away we're going to take the train to new orleans tonight and then by a fruit steamer for central america i'm dished no i didn't cry it was too critical a situation i thought then that the time had come when i would have to tell him my secret oh he had asked me to marry him scores of times i had always been able to put him off with an indefinite answer i couldn't bear to lose him but i was determined not to be his wife until i had confessed what i was but now i saw he was as determined as i i said what has happened gordon then he told me told me what i dread to tell you only of course you see then i didn't understand how awful it was he was ruined his favorite filly had cost him every cent he had in the world and he owed money everywhere he had even i don't think i need tell you all of it perhaps that can be covered up too at any rate he was desperate nothing would do but for us to be married that night and get away before he was arrested think of it the temptation to be alone with him his wife sure of one friend forever but the cost i couldn't do it how could i think of his losing his honor his good name i don't know what i said but i refused i told him that he couldn't marry me that he must stay and face his trouble stay and make a fight for it then when he was square with the world if he chose i would be his wife wasn't i right i loved him too much i never had time to finish you see he had brought two pieces of luggage with him one was a suitcase the other a smallish travelling bag before i had ended my talk he was fumbling in the bag i didn't realize what he was doing till he had pulled out a revolver his look was horrible he could hardly speak through his passion but he cried out well if i can't have you i'll end it all now then he pulled the trigger shot himself in the temple i fainted on the floor beside him the next thing i knew the bell was ringing i don't know how long it had been ringing it was some time before i could get up and it kept ringing persistently horribly it wouldn't stop ringing i shut my ears to it hoping whoever was there would go away but the bell kept on ringing can you hear it gordon dead on my parlor floor and the bell ringing god i can hear it yet ringing i managed to open the door part way a crack and saw harry hay gordon's best friend the only one who knew of our friendship 
for god's sake he said is gordon here he pushed past me i couldn't answer he got into the parlor and saw i sat down on the sofa and began to cry then it was such a relief to have somebody there i couldn't look gordon was dead sure enough there was no doubt about it he felt of gordon's heart and closed his eyes then he told me gordon had been to see him yesterday to borrow money harry hay didn't have it and not knowing how serious it was had refused then afterward hearing a few things about gordon's affairs he had raised a few thousands in a hurry and had come to offer it to him knowing gordon would be at my place think of it ten minutes too late wasn't it ironic harry was a good friend god knows harry hay was wonderful what i would have done alone i don't know of course the suicide itself was awful enough but for gordon to be found in my room in the room of an octoroon think of the scandal it would be terrific then there were gordon's debts his dishonesty it couldn't be i pled with harry to find some way out then we discovered the jewels and we understood how far poor gordon had fallen they were in the travelling bag which he had opened to take the pistol from it was half full the brewster jewels thousands of dollars worth of them gordon had taken them from the family safe he had the combination and his parents were away from home in europe or rather they were expected back any day well we talked it over what could we do i took a dose of strychnia and it braced me up finally harry thought of a plan there's a hack stand round the corner he said i'll go round there and see if i can jolly the driver into renting his carriage if i can perhaps we can make it if not the thing will have to come out it's our only chance anyway so he left to try it i locked the door behind him and went into my room and lay on my bed thinking you can imagine how my mind worked i could see gordon lying on the floor as plainly as if i were in that room with him hours seemed to go by before harry hay rang the bell when i opened the door i didn't know him at first i was terrified he had on a cab driver's smelly coat and old high hat borrowed i don't know how i believe he told the cabby it was a practical joke he told me to get on my hat and coat and wait for him in my room he went into the parlor once he came to my door and asked for warm water and towels then he returned for cotton wool oh god i didn't dare ask him what for the third time he knocked he told me that everything was ready i gulped down a drink of brandy clenched my teeth and went in i wish i could ever forget what i saw gordon was huddled on the sofa his hat and gloves were on he seemed to be asleep his head was turned away the hole in his temple was filled with cotton i felt myself fainting again went to the bathroom and dashed my face with water then returned harry had the hall door open well we got the body downstairs somehow one supporting each arm i held gordon while harry looked out to see if there was any one who might see then we carried him into the cab we got the body on to the seat and i followed and sat down and held it up then harry ran upstairs for the suitcase and bag threw them into the floor of the cab got on the box and we drove off was there ever such a drive i wonder past the waldorf astoria 
past sherry's and delmonico's in and out through a stream of automobiles and carriages the body lurched and swayed once it fell on the floor i had to lift him up past the cathedral the great hotels at the plaza and then we plunged into the park it was cool and dark my last ride with gordon brewster the last time i would touch his hand it was the last service i would ever do for him i thought but there is still another you must help me can you have the heart to refuse after this gordon had lived alone in the brewster house on seventy-second street with nobody but an old caretaker flint his name is i didn't quite trust him but he was our only hope would flint consent to help us that was the question if he would we could manage it we stopped at the house and harry hay left me alone and went in to break the news to the old man he was gone some time he must have paid flint money big money had that body been any one's but gordon's i would have died or lost my senses right then the suspense you know but how can you abhor the body of one you love our last ride together was over harry hay came out at last with flint who was shivering with terror expostulating harry hay took one arm of the body flint the other touched it that is and then ran back into the house sobbing terrified aren't men cowards i had to help the body was stiffened with the cold we had to fairly drag it into the house the boots scraped on the sidewalk at the basement entrance flint was white as ashes holding the door then into the shooting gallery where gordon had his bowling alley his foils and gloves and rifles we laid him on the floor harry hay took a target pistol from a case and asked the way to the coal cellar he went with flint through a little low door then i heard a shot my god it made me shriek my nerves were so on edge it was only harry shooting into the coal to empty the cartridge he came back and laid the pistol down beside the body then i turned away sick he was removing the cotton we were afraid the wound wouldn't bleed oh god it bled fast enough flint was told to wait fifteen minutes then telephone to the nearest police station he was to say he had heard a shot that gordon had let himself in alone while flint was upstairs that he probably was practising as he often did you see he was a noted shot we hoped the death might perhaps pass as accidental that was the plan i think it worked all right but the police suspect something i think did you read the papers there was a notice there is to be an inquest the house is guarded we came out at last harry hay got up on the box and drove off i felt relieved so far as we knew nobody had seen us come i thought it was all over the strain of it the horror and my strength began to go i collapsed it had been too much i was roused out of a sort of stupor by finding myself slipping to the floor as we slewed round a corner when i tried to get up my feet struck something the suitcase and bag do you see we had been so worked up over the thing so excited so nervous we had forgotten to leave gordon's luggage at the house both of us had forgotten god knows we had enough else to think about it isn't strange we forgot 
Well, I thought it wouldn't matter much about the things, only clothes. I was too upset to remember what was in the small bag. Then, as we passed an electric light, I happened to look down at my feet. The small bag had become unfastened in some way, and the whole floor of the cab was covered with jewels. You've seen them, too, on the floor. You know how I must have felt. Thousands of dollars worth of jewels. I gathered them up and stuffed them into the bag. At the next street lamp I looked and found more in the corners, and still more. It seemed as if I'd never find them all. First I thought I'd stop Harry Hay and tell him, but I waited till we got to my house. Then I told him. What were we to do? We couldn't take them back. It was too late then, for the police had undoubtedly been notified. There would be officers there, and the coroner's men. Harry Hay was getting nervous about the cab driver and anxious to return the carriage. He told me that I would have to see about the jewels, told me to telephone Flint and see what could be done to return them safely, so that no one would know they had been taken. It was a tremendous responsibility for me, but to save Gordon's honor I consented to do it. I got Flint on the telephone after a while and told him. He was awfully excited and said he had found the safe door open and had suspected the theft. He proposed that I should carry the jewels up to his brother's house in Harlem, where as soon as he could get away he would meet me. Then he would return them to the safe and lock the combination. No one would ever know. But owing to the coroner he couldn't get away till late tonight. I promised to come. I tried to sleep today but how could I forget? After I had concealed the suitcase, my mind went over and over the horror of it all, and I thought I should go mad. The forenoon was bad enough, but the afternoon was worse. As I was trying to eat my dinner, the bell rang. Eliza came back grinning to say a man wanted to speak to me. I couldn't understand why she was laughing. Then when I saw him, for a moment my heart stopped beating. I thought it was Harry Hay in the cabman's coat and top hat again. It was as if I had to go through that horrible ride again. I couldn't believe my sight. It was the cab driver himself. He had vicious, cross eyes. He began with a horrible, sneering grin to tell me that my friend had damaged the cab. I denied knowing anything about it, but he said he had followed Harry and had watched at the corner. He had seen us coming out with Gordon. Think of it. For one moment I couldn't tell how much he knew, and I was tempted to kill him then and there. I almost wish I had. Then he spoke of my friend with the jag, and I saw he didn't know the truth, but he knew something queer had happened. He said he wanted a hundred dollars. I gave it to him and told him to go away. Wasn't I a fool? Of course it was a fatal thing to do. The moment I had done it I was in despair. He would be sure something wrong had happened. He would come again, and again. He would find out. I went wild. I didn't dare stay at home any longer then, and so putting all the jewels loose into a velvet work bag, I hid that in a large mink muff and went out. I didn't know where. I decided to go to some restaurant or to a theater, anywhere to be in a crowd, safe and wait until Flint could take the things. I had scarcely turned from 33rd Street into 4th Avenue when I saw a cab driving up slowly behind me. 
I was afraid it was the man, but was not sure. I walked hurriedly along. He followed, like a horrible creeping thing. Why didn't I take a car? Oh, I don't know. I was distracted, and anyway, he would have followed me. I turned west at Twenty-Ninth Street. The cab crawled along after me, down Broadway. I couldn't shake it off. I turned into Twenty-Sixth, and for a few minutes I thought I had lost him. I crossed Seventh Avenue, past little bake shops, groceries, cobblers, cubbyholes, and sticky-faced children. Then halfway up the block came a cab jogging along toward me. I was terrified. I lost my head. I turned and ran. There was no doubt that it was the cross-eyed cabman. I knew him now, a quarter of a mile away. I became confused, fearing he would stop me, discover the jewels. I looked about for some escape, saw a fortune-teller's sign, and ran up the steps. The front door was unlatched. I went in and darted upstairs. I had lost my reason now. I was acting through blind instinct, taking the first chance that occurred to me. Up two flights I came to a door ajar. I went in and locked it. Then I looked about for a place to conceal the jewelry. Not a closet, nor a cupboard, nor a bed. I knelt to rip up the carpet, thinking I could stuff the things underneath. When I heard a pounding downstairs, I got up and grabbed the muff. The jewels came flying out of the bag and scattered all over the floor. Then I looked up and saw your face. God, how you terrified me! Well, you know the rest. For some minutes neither spoke. The girl, as if relieved of some physical burden, sighed and rested her head on her hand, gazing at the young man. Fenton looked at her amazed at her story. He understood now something of her strange beauty, the sensuous charm of the octoroon, spiritualized by love, that beauty which had been tantalizing, troublesome, urgent, disturbed him no more. He looked through it to the woman whose character had been revealed. With a quick toss of his head he reached over and held out his hand. She took it without a word and smiled sadly. What do you want me to do? he asked. Take the jewels to Flint's Rendezvous, 555 West 146th Street. You think it is dangerous? I'm sure of it. That cabman is still tracking me. But you don't lack courage, I know. I think I'll try it, said Fenton calmly. I'll do my best at any rate. Where can I find you to let you know the result? I don't dare go home, said the octoroon. I'll take a room at the King William Hotel, and you can telephone me there. Call for Miss Green. She rose, cast a look about, and added, If there is anything I can ever do for you. Oh, that's all right, said Fenton. You'd better get away now while you can. Good night. She bowed to him soberly, gave him another long, heartbroken look, and then walked away. Fenton, freed from the potent charm of her personality, looked about, almost wondering if she had indeed been there at all. The German restaurant seemed to be the abode of the commonplace. How could romance have entered? All about were peaceful, prosaic patrons, intent upon their meal. Then he remembered O'Shea. Was he still there? He scanned the people at the tables, one by one. No. Fenton felt relieved. His eyes fell idly upon a stout, muscular-looking man leaning against a table near him. 
he wore a shepherd's plaid suit a protuberance behind his hip looked as if it might be a concealed revolver fenton wondered if he were a detective but the time had come for him to act himself and he rose to go End of chapter three